Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. The second reading uh, today is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Uh, on the theme of the future house of God. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come. We pray this morning against any spirit of distraction, anything that would keep us from hearing your word well. We give you thanks and praise that you're the God who desires to be known by us, and so we pray that we would open ourselves to that knowledge. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might know uh, what is good to do, what you are calling us to, the hope that is ours. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds that they'd be acceptable in your sight. We pray in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, on Thursday, I happened to be driving across the city in the morning, and you might recall that Thursday uh, was a day when the weather wasn't really sure what it wanted to do. It was sunny sometimes and cloudy other times. There was this kind of battle going on between the rain clouds and the sunshine. It was a bit of a seesaw affair. Uh, For those of us who wear prescription sunglasses, it was a very annoying day. But while I was driving, the sun had the upper hand. And uh, as I drove through an intersection, I saw a woman sitting on the corner on her bike waiting for the light to change to cross. And uh, she she had her eyes closed and she was just like looking up to the heavens. (laughs) And she was soaking in every warm ray that she could. Her her face was this kind of picture of delight and relief. uh, and almost, just a, almost gentle kind of ex- ecstasy, you know. She was cherishing every sunlit moment the way only a Vancouverite in November can. Even a day like today, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, but that is kind of how I feel um, in the light of this passage from Isaiah today. 
Now, like, I just want to kind of sit in it, <laughs> to let it warm my, my skin and my soul. I think it comes as a kind of reprieve, a, a reminder that the storm clouds can't and won't always win, that there are other seasons. I think we need this, this break in the clouds, right? It's a marvelous gift to let this word of the Lord from Isaiah wash over us, to turn our face full towards it and to linger. Now we need it because it tells us of other different seasons, another possibility than the unraveling of the world that we see in the headlines. We need this telling. We need this, this hope. Right? We need a hint and a glimpse. We need to know that something else is on its way. The teacher of the book of Proverbs says that if, without a vision, the people perish. Right? If, we've grown to, if what we've grown accustomed to is all that there is, that's a it's a withering reality. We need God to speak a fresh promise. We need the promise that that moment of sunlight uh, to give us hope for another season. Right? Isaiah's vision points us through the present and to a future that is pulling us towards itself. And we get to linger in it, to close our eyes, to let it warm us, to understand that there's more, that there's infinitely more going on than the rain clouds and the puddles and the wilted leaves. That somehow the gloomy season that the world finds itself in is going to give way to the light of a new day. We need that. We need it because what we believe about the future affects the way we live in the present. Right? If we, if we believe that all there is is all there is, we'll live for that. We'll keep storing up treasures where moss and, rust will, moss and rust will eventually get their way, as Jesus says. We'll shrug our shoulders at the brokenness of the world, keep calm and carry on, even when we know that things are so out of whack that we really should be going another direction. An entirely new one, maybe. If we believe that all there is is all there is, then we'll be paralyzed and powerless to do anything else. And that's a deadly place for us to be, even more terminal for the church. But Isaiah gives us this break in the clouds. And it's amazing to see what happens to even those soggy leaves that have fallen on the sidewalk when the sun peeks out, right? In our neighborhood, many of the trees have these bright, vibrant red leaves, the color of the, the, this rug up here, this vibrant red leaves. And most of them, of course, are on the ground now. But I, I was walking through the village the other day and the sun happened to peek out and it was like walking on a, like a garnet pathway. <laughs> like it just, the whole thing was lit up. The world looks different. But here's the thing. Isaiah's vision isn't just a moment of turning something dead into something beautiful. <laughs> it's not just a change in perspective. It's a change in perception. Right? He's not just reshaping what we see. He's reshaping how we see. He's inviting us to catch hold of this future that's pulling us towards itself and to live radically differently in the world right now in response. Like if that's how things are going to be, then how do we live for it now? How do we get ready? This is the first Sunday of Advent, as you may have figured out by now. Um, the first day of the Christian calendar. This is our New Year's Day. Happy New Year, everyone. And in the wisdom of the church, this is our first word. Right, this is the first reading in the lectionary for this year. It's not the only word. There will be lots of other words in the year to come, but for now it's the first. Right, this sets the tone for what we're called to. The church is weird. Like at the beginning of the year, we start from the end, <laughs> looking to the days to come. 
because it's the future that's meant to shape our present from here on out. It really is not just an invitation to change our perspective. It's not simply looking on the bright side. It's not finding silver linings. It's not reframing and making the most out of our situations. This isn't the power of positive thinking. Isaiah is not calling us to see our problems as possibilities or the pain in our life as lessons, even if that's sometimes true. He's inviting us to see differently, to change our perception to know the world differently in the light of the future that's on its way and is pulling it uh, us towards itself, the future that's already started to invade the present and to adjust accordingly. The passage begins, the word that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And I'd never really stumbled over that before, but it's weird, right? Like, shouldn't it say the word that Isaiah heard <laughs> or the word that Isaiah spoke? No, it says the word that Isaiah saw. Isaiah sees this word. It's a, a deeper level of perception. It's more than a gut feeling. It is a revelation. It's a re reality being revealed to him and through him by the God who does more than we can see, more than we can ask or imagine. When Isaiah sees the word of the Lord, he sees not just what's going on, but what's really going on. Not just what is, but what really is. And here's what he sees says, there will come a day when the mountain of the Lord, the mountain of Yahweh, will be the highest of the mountains. Ancient people built their, their temples uh, and places of worship high up on mountains, symbolically closer to heaven, right? Fortresses and cities are built high up on mountains uh, to, for protection. You can see the enemy coming from miles around. Isaiah's determination here is that there's going to come a day when the presence of this God, the maker of heaven and earth, will tower over all the world's gods, over all the world's kingdoms. And I want to come back to that in a second. Let's put a pin in it. I think it's important to know that for Israel, the temple is more than just uh, like a really holy, special place. For Israel, it's the place where God literally dwelt. It's where heaven and earth literally touched. It was the space of perfect intimacy between God and God's people. And it pointed to the promise that even though God's ways are far above ours, God's thoughts are far above ours, God is still the God who will come close to us, the God who is with us and for us, the God who will be Emmanuel. And so Isaiah catches a glimpse of the time when that intimacy will be total. Yahweh towering over the other gods, the kingdom of heaven towering over the other kingdoms, which may make us squirm a little bit. Right? In these post-colonial days, uh, we're rightly antsy about these kind of claims. Right? We've seen this sort of thing go sideways, but this is so much more than the religious exceptionalism, the national socialism, that, that, and the stunted nonsense that we're seeing making headlines these days. And the stuff that's too often ravaged the world with the church's help. What Isaiah sees is all the nations streaming to the mountain of God. This is a world coming together, not a world divided. There's an urgency and an eagerness to what's on offer. There's no forcing or cajoling or threatening. The nations themselves are streaming. They're streaming to the mountain of God. It's purely voluntary. What Isaiah sees is, is this joyful day of enemies coming together in this one place. It's all people called into the presence of the maker and sustainer of life 
the one who sets captives free and raises the dead. It's a multiracial, multicultural, multilingual, radically diverse community gathering in the presence of the one uh, whom each and every blessed one of them bears, in whose image they are made. Right? This is what St. John will see in the book of Revelation several hundred years later. Uh, every tongue and tribe and nation, every tongue and tribe and nation, not joining in the song of one ultimate nation, but joining in the song of the Lamb. Every tongue and tribe and nation joining in the song of the Lamb. Where the church gets co-opted uh, and messed up is when we begin to assume that our culture, our way is invariably God's way, <laughs> right? We confuse our politics with God's politics. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas once said that mixing politics our politics and the gospel is like mixing manure and ice cream. It doesn't much change the manure, but it sure changes the flavor of the ice cream, right? Isaiah sees the whole, a whole new arrangement coming. It's every people coming to be shaped and formed in the way of the God who made and loves this world and who is determined to heal it. Every culture changed, transformed, and healed by the God who teaches us his ways. Isn't that cool? who makes paths for us to walk in the wilderness. And again, that doesn't mean that our cultures will be obliterated into a homogenous blob of humanity. We only need to look around the creative world, creative world to know that God delights in diversity. Now, ecosystems don't thrive when everything's the same. In fact, it's in those spaces where ecosystems touch, it's called an ecotone, uh, that the most diversity flourishes, the most life happens. But there is formation, which often implies, I think, change and growth and even limits. The ecosystem thrives when everything in it does what it is supposed to do, made to do, no more, no less. In, in the message, Eugene Peterson renders this part of the, the passage. He'll show us the way he works so we can live the way we're made. Right? He'll show us the way he works so that we can live the way we're made. The nations are streaming toward the promise that God will teach us God's ways, that God will form us as God's people because we can trust that God's ways are good and God desires are flourishing. People are streaming because this is what we yearn for, to live as we're made to live with purpose and with passion, God's image bearers in this world. We are God's handiwork, St. Paul says, made for good works, which is a healing reality. Right? To know that is to be healed. The word of the Lord will have its way, Isaiah says. God's word never comes back empty. God will judge and God will arbitrate and there will be justice. And out of that justice will flow peace. Now again, in the book of Revelation, there's this beautiful image. John sees at the end in chapter 21, this, this tree of life that, that bears fruit in every season and whose leaves are for the healing of the nations bears fruit in every season and whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. Gosh, we need that hope, don't we? We need to pray that, through that, even as the headlines break our hearts. Because when God gets God's way and the nations stream and are healed, when the people come into the intimate presence of the one who made them and loved them, who made us and loves us, hearts are changed. Like, I love the image of, of instruments of death transformed, converted into instruments for life. Swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. 
That's such a physical, intentional act, right? This is tangible. It's joining God in recreation work, in healing work. It's swords are beaten into plowshares. It's maybe not the best image, but, but there's physicality to it, right? People are choosing to do this work. It begins with an idea and then takes physical shape in our bodies. It's worked out in a material way. This calls us to do something that shows the hope that we have. One of the organizations I love is called Raw Tools. Uh, you can find them at rawtools.org, I believe. And they're a community of people who go around to different cities. They have sort of parties uh, in different cities. And they either take guns that people voluntarily give them, or sometimes they have buybacks. And they, uh, they take these guns, and inspired by this passage, they cut them up, and they forge them into garden tools. You can actually buy a trowel made from an AR-15. You can check them out on social media. They're a great group of people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up the sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. Lord, hasten the day. Bring it to life in us now. That's what Isaiah sees. It's the vision through which he's calling us to perceive the world, to understand ourselves, our neighbors, our God. And it's a future day, no doubt. It's in the days to come. But again, it's a future that draws us in. It's meant to be taking shape right now. When Isaiah sees the word of the Lord, he's seeing through things are to the way that they really are and will be. And God wants a witness to that way now. Now the next words are this, O house of Jacob, which means Israel, God's people in formation. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I, I love that God's people are called uh, the house of Jacob here. Now, if you don't, J Jacob is the father of Israel. He's the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, you know, if you've ever seen Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, he's the dad, right? And his story is a fraught one. It's a difficult one. It's full of lies and deception, of faithlessness and some faithfulness, of division and some, some reunion, but it's never a straight shot. And you may have heard that Jacob's the one who wrestled the angel, right? And there comes a point in that wrestling match where I, I imagine Jacob's got, you know, the angel in a headlock, say uncle, and, uh, and he refuses to let go until the angel blesses him, right? Which happens. It's an amazing story. You check it out. But, uh, and when that happens, as often happens in the Bible, when something major happens, he gets a new name, and he's called Israel, Right? So Jacob is his unblessed, unredeemed name. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think this is Isaiah acknowledging that even as God's people in formation, we're still flawed and fickle. Our capacity for deception and faithlessness is often on full display, and yet we're called anyways. As the old saying goes, God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called, right? So, says Isaiah, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come, let's not wait for somewhere, someday to learn God's ways and walk in God's path. Come, let's not wait for somewhere, someday to begin to transform our violence into peace. Come, let's not wait for somewhere, someday to draw near to the God who draws near to us. To live into the God-bearing image in which we're made. 
to both receive and participate in the healing that God wants for us. Come. Let's not wait until the conditions are right and ideal to walk in the light of the Lord. Let's go do it right now. It's important that Isaiah's uh, call here, the, the word that Isaiah sees doesn't come when he's at a, on a spa retreat and everything's going well with the world, right? It comes in the thick of things. It, it butts up against a world that in some ways isn't a whole lot different than it was 2,500 years ago, right? Ravaged by violence, people paying more attention to pundits and influencers than the word of God, grabbing all they can. This is a quotation if you read the Keep reading in Isaiah chapter 2, a world in which people bow down to the work of their hands, to what they made with their, with their own fingers have made. <laughs> a world of injustice and fear and frequent hopelessness. That's where Isaiah catches this vision. That's where he sees more clearly, more deeply, because he sees the world not just as it is, but through the promise that the God who made it and loves it will make it new and whole again. And we're invited to receive that grace, work for that newness, to forge that peace, to walk that godless path right now. Right now. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's what the church is for. Come, learn God's ways. Come, let the love that shaped the cosmos shape your life, your commitments, your desires, your delights, come. Add your voice to the wild diversity of God's kingdom. Come. Do the satisfying work of creating something new out of something old. And the invitation of Advent is to come towards the light that's coming into the world. The light that St. John says is the light of all people, the life of all people, the light that will never be quenched, that will continue to light up the darkness until that day when the darkness is scattered for good. I think the invitation is to turn our faces like that woman on the bike, <laughs> full on to the brightness of God, who is with us and for us and who will make all things new. To relish and delight in the possibility of the season to come. To let it filter into our days right now. To take the holy risk to know the impossible joy of walking in the light of the Lord. May it be so. Thank you.